Um, and I really haven't introduced myself. I'm Justin. We're from Madison. Uh, West Center Baptist Church is I'm senior pastor of. We're an old Baptist church, uh, 1885. Uh, been a faithful presence in our community. And um, when I came there roughly eight years ago, uh, we had lost a lot of people. We we were, church was in the wilderness. They'd had two pastors that didn't last more than a year, and not good things happened with those pastors. So we came in, and it's been, uh, God has blessed the work. It's been somewhat of a revitalization, re- renewal of our church, and um, really good things are happening. So uh, we're excited. We're happy to be serving the Lord. So let's read Psalm 124 together. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the flood would have swept us away, the torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord, who made heaven and earth. I know you have been taught well on the Psalms of Ascent fairly recently, so thank you for indulging me on on Psalm 124, a beautiful psalm of thanksgiving, and a very real psalm, um, an honest psalm. And don't you love that about the Psalms? Just how honest and real they are. Almost more real than we're prepared to be with God. (laughs) Like we're too holy to talk in some of these ways that we find in the Psalms. Um, A good challenge for us, I think. But the psalmist is thinking about what would life have been like without God? What would life have been like without God? If it had not been for the Lord. If. It's an if. Question. It's an interesting thought experiment. I don't know if you've ever gone there. Um, What would my life be like without the Lord? Who would I be? What would I be doing? (laughs) Maybe not a pleasant thought uh, when you start to go down that road. Who would you be without Jesus? Well, let let me try to answer that question. There would be no battle between the flesh and the spirit. It would be 100% the flesh. You would have no fight. The only thing holding your sin back would be consequences. Well, I don't want to get caught. I don't want to go to jail. I don't want this bad thing to happen. You would have no prayer life. You wouldn't be communing with God regularly. You would, you would have no interest in Sunday worship other than maybe to check a box to make yourself feel better that I'm a good person. I go to church. I want people to see me go to church. You would have no community of faith to love you, care for you. No Bible to anchor you. Just think about that. What if you didn't have the Bible as an anchor in your life? What terrible things would you have done without God in your life? Some of you would probably be dead. You know that. Some of you with, with uh, interesting past, you know, okay, without God rescuing me, probably I'd be in a ditch somewhere. Some of you would be divorced. Some of you would be abusers. Some of you would be dealing with far more sexual sin in your past than you already are. 
Some of you would be drunkards, slaves to greed, perhaps externally nice, but with nothing but dead man's bones on the inside. That's who you would be without Christ, without God. For the, even the best of us, it's ugly. It's really ugly. It's ugly for me. I was saved as a child. I believe God regenerated my heart through my parents and my church, teaching me the Bible and the gospel. But God has given me glimpses over the years of who I am in my natural state, and it's not pretty. Who would I be without God? Proud, arrogant, controlling, selfish, impure. It's nasty. The psalmist's head is in that place. What would life be like without God? For me personally and for us. What would it be like? And, and to be honest, brothers and sisters, it's good to go to that place sometimes because we get very used to this and we can forget. We can forget who we were and what we've been delivered from and to give God the glory, Lord, I was dead in my sins and now I'm alive. There's been a resurrection. That's pretty good news. And we don't go there enough because we, we, we can cloister ourselves in a church bubble and we get used to, you know, growing in sanctification and being in church circles. And all of that's wonderful and good. But we need to remember what we've been saved from. Just as we're thinking about what are we saved to. And the psalmist is thinking that way. What would it have been like if God had not been on our side? I mean, forget trials. I often talk about with people who have family, friends, who are not Christians and they're going through a really deep trial. They have cancer, whatever it might be. Death of a child. How would you get through that without God? How do they do it? It's amazing. I mean, obviously, the common grace of the Lord sustains them. Like, there's, there's mercy in it. But not a redemptive mercy. Romans 8.28 is not functioning. What would that be like? Eugene Peterson says of this psalm, The psalmist is not a person talking about the good life, how God has kept him from all difficulty. This person has gone through the worst, the dragon's mouth, the flood's torn, and finds himself intact. He was, a, he was not abandoned, but helped. The final strength is not in the dragon or in the flood, but in God who didn't go off and leave us. You are not your help. God is. That's hard to accept for self-sufficient, hard-working, disciplined people, which I have no doubt you are. It's hard to accept that I am not my help. God is my help. Do you believe that? Does your life show that? If you're a Christian, if you're on your way to becoming a Christian, which I hope you are, if you're not, I hope this morning is part of God awakening your heart to the glories of the gospel. Every single moment of your life is enveloped in the loving, gentle care of Almighty God, the God who made heaven and earth. He holds you in his hand every moment of your life. He holds it. He cares for it. He knows it. He planned it. 
It was never you. It will never be you. You cannot rescue yourself. But if God is on your side, you are eternally, exhaustively okay. When we say that to each other, it's going to be okay. But as Christians, we actually can. And it's logical. It's true. It will be okay. Because God is on our side. Two big categories I want to think about today as we examine the psalm. Firstly, God rescues, and then we respond. Really the shape of the gospel. God rescues, and then we respond. So first, God rescues. From what? Verse 1. From when you feel intimidated. If it had not been for the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. And then skip down to verse 6. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. It's intimidating language in terms of the life of the psalmist. Um, and here's what the poetry in the Psalms does with Im- imagery. It takes an image from ordinary life and it brings it into spiritual life. So it takes something that we can understand from ordinary life, like a predator and prey, and it brings it into spiritual life. It, 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 it uses it to help us in our spiritual life. God rescued us from destruction, just like a predator has prey in its mouth and it's rescued. He could have just said, people were mad at us and it was scary and God helped us. It's boring. God is more interesting than that. God has an imagination, you know. Okay, God has an incredible imagination. Look around, you know. And he uses the imagery to help us to get the truth. It's very important. Pictures a predator, a lion, a wolf, a shark. Ugh. I don't like sharks. So to think about that, that works for me. Something scary, intimidating. Clearly, you are overmatched, overwhelmed, and somehow God shows up and saves you. I love how the Hobbit films captured uh, the dragon, Smog. If you guys have seen that, anybody seen that? Raise your hand if you've seen this movie, The Hobbit. Okay, thank you. Um, so that when he's down in the, the below the mountain and Smog rises, and this tiny little Bilbo... And, and there's this intimidation factor. He's, he's massive. His tail, and he starts on this you know, soliloquy uh, of praising himself. I wish I could have written something this good. He says, my armor is like ten shields. My teeth are swords. My claws are spears. My tail is a thunderbolt. My wings a hurricane. And my breath is death. That's intimidating. And that's what life can feel like sometimes. Or certain things in life can feel like. What is it for you that feels genuinely scary? Something you don't even like thinking about, let alone, I don't want this to happen. Something that intimidates you where you feel like your heart starts beating faster, your blood pressure rises, you start sweating... Without God, that makes perfect sense to be afraid. Fear makes perfect sense without God. What, what, why would you not be? 
But you aren't living without God, you're living with Him. Bilbo has a ring that makes him invisible, he can escape, but you have something better. You have the living God on your side. The God who made heaven and earth. The God who made heaven and earth. (laughs) So when you feel completely overwhelmed, when you feel stress, when you feel anxiety, a lot of times anxiety is stress like mounted on top of each other where it just feels like, I don't know how I'm going to do any of this. I cannot get this done. The simple thought that the Lord is on my side. He wants to use to de-stress you, relieve the anxiety, the intimidation of all this or whatever it is that's in front of you that I don't think I can do it. But if God's on your side, it, it, it feels a little different. Nothing is too hard for him. He always shows up just what you need, just in time. We all would say that about our lives. Has God ever failed you? Has he ever not been enough? Has he not? No, no, no. And yet we look to the future and it's like, well, maybe he'll start like tomorrow. And he won't. Verse two, I'm sorry, point two. When you feel thrown off, so God is our help when you feel intimidated. He is your help when you just feel thrown off. Verse five. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. So I think he's alluding to flash flooding, which would have been common in the ancient Near East. Uh, just out of nowhere. Okay, you didn't see it coming. I grew up in the desert. This would happen sometimes. Uh, you, you, you know, there's a rain up in the mountains. You didn't really know what was going on. All of a sudden, it's a flash flood, a literal flood. But it comes upon you without, you're not aware. You didn't plan. You didn't prepare. Things are pretty well under control, and then something comes out of nowhere. That happens a lot. Especially if you've got young kids. Things you didn't prepare for are constantly happening. Um, but, but some of you have been betrayed by a friend. You just didn't see it coming. Okay, I know these people, maybe I could see they might turn on me, but not this person. Not this person. Some of you have been blindsided by someone's sin. I never thought they were capable of doing this. Some of you have gotten a phone call. I never thought I would get that phone call. And yet here it is. It's happening. How is this happening? You're blindsided by a trial. You're blindsided by life. You're blindsided by a sin. All the way down to ordinary things that throw you off that you didn't prepare for. I don't know what to do. That's what he's talking about. That's what he's getting at. And yet, God sustains you. You survive. You struggle. You flail with anxiety. But you don't lose your faith. Your faith remains. The reason your faith remains is God. Not you, but God. So if you've come through that season and you're still a Christian, just say thank you. Just be grateful. It wasn't your strength holding God's hand. You probably let go. But then he grabbed your hand and held on. It's so comforting. Okay, third area, God helps us. When you feel trapped, when you feel trapped, verse 7, we have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken. We have escaped. Another image from ordinary life. He moves it into spiritual life. 
a helpless bird caught by those mean hunters. Anybody a hunter? We have a lot of them in South Dakota. Uh, yeah, yeah. So even this morning, one of the first things that, that was brought up by a gentleman I was talking with in the, the lobby is pheasant hunting. Okay, we are number one. I did not know this. Number one in the country in pheasant hunting. I have not killed a pheasant. I've seen them. Um, I'm not handy with a gun. I'm not a hunter per se. But this is the image that we're dealing with. There's a bird that's been caught. Okay? Caught by a fowler. Have you ever felt like that? That something was maybe hunting you? That you felt trapped? You felt caught? You felt stuck? A moment? A season? You don't see a way out? And God helps you. I was talking to a friend who um, was sexually assaulted in her adult life, a wonderful gal, and um, she was sharing with me how she felt so trapped during that season in the aftermath of what happened to her. And this was as an adult, not as a child. Um, She was paralyzed by fear. She was consumed in her mind by what had happened. It was like her world shrunk down to this tiny, terrible event that had happened in her life. And she didn't see how I can get out. This, this predator, a literal predator, had hunted her, hurt her, violated her. And, and Lord, I don't know how I'm going to get through this. I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. She's a great woman of God. She kept praying. She kept going to the Psalms. She kept clinging to Jesus. And slowly but surely, in ways she couldn't anticipate, God began to deliver her from the snare. She would have, at times, surges of anger, which you can understand. Very, in a way, sometimes good. You should be angry at evil. But she didn't know how to deal with it. And um, (laughs) she and her husband were driving. Uh, They live in California. They're driving down the road. And um, she sees a gun range. I don't know if that's what you call it. Is that what you call it? Where you go and shoot? Is it a gun range? Okay. Uh, I don't, obviously, I've been to a lot of them. Um, but she sees it, and she like, gets this sense from the Lord, pull over. We need to go in there. He's like, what? She's like, no, pull over. I need to go in there. She goes into the gun range. She buys a gun, and she learns how to shoot and starts doing target practice. And this is like this great therapy release that God has given her for her anger. Now, that might not seem very pious or holy to you, but it was very helpful. Something you could not anticipate. And if you met this gal, you would not think Glock 9mm. You would not think this is someone who's taking self-defense classes that I actually should be afraid of. And you should, but no, she doesn't look the part. And yet, this was something that God did in her life to help her out of feeling trapped by evil. You don't know where the help is going to come from. You don't know when it's going to come. You don't know what it's going to look like. But it will come. Because that is our God. He does not go off and leave us. In our deepest, darkest despair our worst moments, even more than our best moments. He is there, and he will provide just what we need. Even if it's surprising to you, I never would have thought God would help me in this way, and yet I look back, and so clearly he did. 
Apply it to your life. Some of you feel trapped today by something. I know you do. How does this psalm help you? How does this psalm apply to your life? Is it the world? You're trapped in a way of thinking that is worldly. It feels like I can't get out of it. Is it the flesh? It's a sin. It's a sin struggle, a habit, a pattern. You're like, I don't think I'll ever break this. I don't see a way out of this. Is it the devil accusing you? Baiting you into sin and then accusing you for sinning. You know, um, the devil is, is pro-sin on the way in and he's anti-sin on the way out. Tracking with that? Sin is great. And then when you sin, oh, you are bad. Oh, you failed God so deeply. I don't know if he can forgive you. I mean, these people maybe, but not you. And you feel trapped. For freedom's sake, Christ set us free. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Let not your hearts be troubled. For I have overcome the world. Believe in the Father. Believe also in me. These are the promises God gives us in the midst of feeling, feeling, feeling. There's no way out. I think sometimes, even though we know that conceptually, theologically, we feel like we're on our own. You feel like you have to analyze your way out of the problem. You feel like you have to buy your way out of the problem. I mean, money talks. It's power. You feel like you have to muscle your way through the problem. You don't. You don't. The Lord is on your side. And often the help will come when you have humbled yourself and you have gotten to that point of realizing and accepting, I can't do it. I thought I could, but I can't. Prayer is simply saying, I can't, you can. That's the essence of prayer. And so God often lets us stay in the trial, in the difficulty, in the sin, feeling trapped, in the fowler's snare, until we get to a point where we realize, I can't get myself out of this. Maybe that's a church thing. I don't think we can rescue ourselves, so we're going to look to God. And then the help comes, because he gets glory. The promises of the gospel assure you that that is true. The challenge is to believe them. Especially when we're struggling. But it's a commitment God has made. It's a new covenant made in the blood of the Son of Jesus Christ. He will be your shepherd. You will be his sheep. And as we partake of the Lord's Supper today, I mean, that's what it is. As surely as you taste that bread in your mouth, as sure as you, as you take that cup and you drink it, so surely is God on your side and for you. Well, but, I mean, I don't know. How do I know? This is my body. This is my blood given for you. What else do you need? What else do I need in my weak lack of faith? Where I feel I have to get it done. If it's, if it's going to be, it's up to me.
so easy to go there. I think, I think, many of us have trouble actually believing that God not only will help us, but wants to help us. I think many of you have trouble believing that. Where you relate to God this way, um, well, I guess technically he's obligated to help me. I mean, I guess he has to. He's God. I'm his kid, you know. But I'm not sure he wants to. I mean, I'm kind of a mess. He keeps bailing me out time after time. The same problems I come to every week, every day. Lord, patience. Lord, help with this. Lord. And, you know, he must get a little tired of that. Uh, Could you just handle it yourself once in a while? I'm sure I'm a burden to him. You know, that sounds like the more, more like the way we relate to our kids. <laughs> Could there not be a crisis for just 15 minutes? Five minutes, I'll take that. Just do something yourself. Why do you need me all the time? Could you please put your shoes on? We've done it a thousand times. And we project that onto God. This must be the way that God relates to me, his kid. Where I'm like, you know, I hear, Daddy, can you help me with this? Just, yep, I will help you. Please just wait. Please, no, just, I'll be right there. We think that's the way God relates to us. Like, like Mr. Incredible relates to the world. It'd be nice if it just stayed saved for a little while. Could there, could please, I just, yesterday I saved the world, today, can we have a tomorrow off? And we think that's the way God relates to us, but he doesn't, because God is not like us. God is infinitely patient, especially towards his kids. Hebrews 5.2 says, he, Jesus, can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. I'm going to say that again. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. Let me translate that. Jesus' response to people who do stupid stuff on accident is gentle, patient care. Jesus' response to people who do sinful stuff on purpose or even by accident or, you know, unintentionally is gentle, patient care. The ignorant and the wayward. Okay, so just your normal routine kind of stuff and like the bad stuff. He's never annoyed. He's never burdened. He's never impatient. That's just who he is. You have to, you have to believe that by faith because we're not like that. We're not like that with our kids, so how could God be like that with his kids? And yet he is. He's not frustrated by your mess. Actually, it excites his heart. Like a doctor who has a patient that he wants to cure and help heal, Jesus gets excited when you take your mess to him. It energizes him. This is why he gets up in the morning. Uh, you know, The Bible doesn't say uh, the Son of Man came to seek and save the good and healthy and polished the lost is who he came for that's what made him leave heaven (laughs) to come here 
is messy, lost, broken, sinful people. Real sinners. Any real sinners in the house? At least one. Okay? This is what excites him. The only reason, friends, that help does not come for you is because you have not gone to Jesus with your mess. He's waiting for you to do that. He's not frustrated. He's not annoyed with you. When you look to Christ, whether you're ignorant or you're wayward or both, gentle care comes to you. And I would just say, if anyone... I mean, what is holding you back from coming to Jesus? Is it that I've done too much? I don't know if I can be forgiven. Is it I'm not sure that he will forgive me? Is it that I think I can take care of it myself? I think I can handle it. I know I made some mistakes, but I'm doing good now. I'm going to be better. What is keeping you from coming to Jesus? Why would you not want this person on your side? He's the best. He's the best person. Like the person that you love the most in your life, that you feel the most safe with, the most trusting. Jesus is like way better than that person. You want to be with them all the time? Why wouldn't you want to be with him? What is keeping you from coming to him today? Now is the time. Now is the time. Don't go through another day without Jesus on your side. Coming to church is not having Jesus on your side. It's trusting him. It's trusting him. Looking to him. Believing, looking outside of yourself unto him. God rescues. We respond. He responds. Verse 8. Look at it with me. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. God has done such great things in the past, in the present, that the psalmist just can't help it. God is great. I have to tell people our help comes not from us, but from the Lord. And this is the shape of the gospel. God shows mercy, we praise him. God is faithful, we serve him, we respond. So two two responses I want to highlight fairly briefly. Number one, be helpful. How do we respond to God's helpfulness? We're helpful. Now that seems obvious. It seems simple. But if God has promised to help you in your hardest stuff, you are now free to help other people because you don't have to fix all your problems. You don't have to be concerned with just your life. You are concerned with the lives of others. Be helpful. It's not flashy. It's not dramatic. It's ordinary. But simply serving people in love is the fabric of Christian love. Carrie and I sometimes think back to the early years um, where we had little kids and we were drowning. And um, <laughs> it makes me think of uh, Jim Gaffigan when he, he talks about what is it like. He's got a bunch of kids, like, I don't know, four or five kids. What's it like to have one more, you know, go from three to four? And he says, well, just imagine that you're drowning And someone hands you a baby. That's what it's like. And I remember being there where we're drowning. And then it was like, here's two more babies. And it was simple, ordinary things that people did that were the most helpful. Particularly for Carrie, my wife. Uh, 
Like, could I come over and watch the kids so you can take a shower and regain your sanity? That was very helpful. Okay? Can we just bring you a meal? Can, can, can we get to, the, like, again, particularly for her, okay, would you like to go on a walk and have some adult conversation? Because I know that's been sorely lacking. You've been talking to toddlers all day. You're about to lose your mind. Let's go on a walk. It's a simple thing, but it's very helpful. It's often those little things that are very, very helpful. Um, putting yourself in somebody else's shoes and saying, what would be meaningful to me if I was them right now? What would be helpful to me? Sounds easy, but what gets in the way of us being helpful? What are some hindrances to helpfulness? First, frugality. Often frugality. You won't spend money to be helpful. You won't spend money, whether that's in your own family, uh, your, your extended family, your church family. You won't, you won't spend the money to be helpful. The wife keeps saying, you know, it would be great if we got the AC fixed. Well, you know, do we really need that? It seems to be working, you know, once in a while. It's not that hot out and, and, and you won't be, you're too stingy to be helpful. Okay, husband keeps saying, you know, I think we really need to get away, just the two of us. It'd be really good if we did that. Leave the kids with somebody. God will provide. Somebody will take care of them. You know, plane tickets are really expensive right now. I don't know. And and, and Airbnb. And I mean, we don't want to dip into savings too much. And you're too stingy to be helpful. Marriages have ended in divorce because... One party is just refusing to be helpful. Money and otherwise. They just, they're, just, they're too principled to actually do something helpful for someone else. What else gets in the way? Lack of availability. I know everybody's busy. Not necessarily bad to be busy. But creating a little margin in your life where you actually can be available to help people. is very important. Very good. Some of the most helpful people in our life are those who are available. We can, we can call them, and they actually are available to help with something that we need help with. So if you're a little bit older, you're retired, you're empty nester, this is an amazing opportunity that God has given you to be helpful. Now the temptation is, I put in my time, now it's me time. Now I got some me time. Now, and you know how it's like when you have a doctor's appointment, that's a busy week. Like one doctor's appointment. Well, you know, you know, is next week work for you? No, I have a doctor's appointment. I'm getting my hair done. I'm going here. You know, I, I'm going to the gym on Thursday for an hour to walk. I don't think I can do it. This is an opportunity. If you have time, that is a gift from God to steward for the good, not just of yourself, but others. Being available is very helpful. Now, if you're spinning down the rabbit hole with small children and you don't have any capacity left, just once in a while, do your best to be available to help someone. But there are seasons when we're available less and there are seasons when we're available more. But sometimes, selfishly, we just want that available season to be for me. I'm not saying you shouldn't enjoy a little creature comfort. But is that how you're thinking? God has been helpful to me. How can I be? God is always available to me. How can I be available to other people? Maybe even initiating without them asking. How can I serve you this week? How can I help you this week? How can I pray for you? 
Very helpful. And let me just add this. Carrie mentioned it yesterday with the ladies. When you're helping someone, make sure that it's not always on your terms. God doesn't say, I will help you, but, um, you know, this particular sin at this particular time, I just can't do it. Let them dictate those terms. Meet them where they are as much as you can. Don't dictate the terms. Sometimes it's a sacrifice, and that's the nature of gospel love. Number two. So we respond by being helpful. Secondly, we respond by being vocal. Being helpful and being vocal. Tell people about what God did in your life. That's what the psalmist does here. Maybe it's David. We don't know. Maybe. We have to tell each other, guys. We have to talk about God in our life because the natural thing to believe is that sin is ultimate. Suffering is ultimate. Man, humanity is ultimate. And it's not. God is ultimate. New creation is ultimate. Redemption is ultimate. And we have to tell each other. We have to be reminded by each other that God is working. And so often these things happen. God delivers us. He helps us. And we don't say anything. We keep it to ourselves. We keep it in our own home. And we feel like, well, I'm being too holy. I can't talk about it. People say, how are you doing? We can't say like, oh my goodness, let me tell you how God delivered me from this situation or this sin or this struggle and give glory and praise to God because that will encourage each other. We don't do it. We keep it inside when we should be vocal. And that would build us up as a church in ways you can't imagine. If we just speak, if we just share with each other, I need to be reminded that God is real and God is active. I'm very aware and reminded that my sin is real and my sin is active and that this world is fallen. I read the newspaper every day. I'm, I'm very aware. It's a fallen world. What I need to be reminded of is that it is a world that is being redeemed and renewed. And that God is real. God is working. And we have to share that with each other. We have to talk about it. Oh my goodness, please don't be embarrassed to ever talk about God. I'm not saying in a weird way. Don't be weird. But just be just, it's just who you are. It, well, what could be more natural than talking about the God who made us and saved us? And how he redeemed us and is on our side. And every, I want you to hear it. So simply, when you have little things or big things that God has brought you through, just talk about them. How encouraged are you to hear those stories from each other? Very encouraging. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this true, beautiful, and inspired word. Amazing how you use normal people uh, who are living in this fallen world and you speak through them in such a way that it is truly divine speech tailored for all times and all places and all your people Lord, that 
I don't know, 2,500, 3,000 years ago, this psalm was penned, this poetry was written, and it is so relevant for us today. And I pray, I pray that we would apply it, administer it to our lives, that we would not walk away this morning unchanged, that we would be thinking about, okay, Lord, what do you have for me? How do I need to become more like Jesus Christ? Give me the grace, the power, the help to do it. And I pray, Lord, we would be assured through the gospel and today seeing the gospel in the supper that you are on our side. For you have ratified a covenant with the blood of the Son of God. Thank you. In your great name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.